Well, would you like to, to turn to Isaiah 45, verse 20, because that's where we're going to be. Um, that's our, it's going to be our text for today. Isaiah 45, verse 20, and then through to 46, at the end of verse 7. About three or four weeks ago, we'd just been on holiday with our family. And uh, this is us in the Golden Gate National Park in South Africa. We haven't had a chance to be away together as a family for quite a long time. Gail's been keeping count, but seven or eight years. Hmm? Ten years, my word. Yeah, when the kids were at home, it was lovely. I mean, we just would go um, once a year somewhere with them. So it was a really special time uh, to be together. Um, that's Catherine, you might, might not know her, she's our daughter who lives in Switzerland, Matthew, all the rest you know. Even my mum didn't recognise me, she said, who's that man in that photograph? <laughs> and Gail said, it's Ian, she said, that's not Ian. <laughs> anyway, that'll play into what we're talking about today, which is the, the whole concept, or the, the topic of ageing. But it was interesting, while we were on holiday together, I had this really cheerful thought. I thought to myself, that one day... Out of the four of us, only one is going to be left standing. Isn't that a cheerful thought? You came to church to be encouraged today. (laughs) Well, there's a bit of encouragement for you. But it's true, isn't it? One day, only one of us is going to be left standing. T.S. Eliot wrote in a poem, I will show you fear in a handful of dust. Isn't that a thought? Another cheerful thought. You know, Gail is, um, she's, she's warm, she's living, she's breathing today, but one day she will end up being a handful of dust. And so will I, and so will all of us. In fact, out of this hall here, I don't know who it'll be, one person is going to be left standing. I wonder who it is. <laughs> Go and sit next to them. <laughs> And, you know, when we, when we mention these things, um, my word, how are we supposed to respond to this reality? Well, after spending four nights at Golden Gate National Park, we drove down to, uh, to Nottingham Road for my niece's wedding, where I was in, uh, sadly, for another sobering experience. Um, you can see why I've always got a smile on my face. <laughs> um, here are the bride and groom uh, with, with the bride's family. Now, now, these two ladies here, uh, there and there, um, I was introduced to them by their mum, who's this lady here, the bride's granny. Uh, I was introduced to them, and I said, you know, I, I'm sure I recognize you guys from somewhere. And so their mum said, 25 years ago, you spent Christmas with us, and Daniela and Melissa were 13 and 15 years old, and I just couldn't believe it, because now, there they are, they've just about reached 40, they've got kids, and I'd been saying to their mum, my word, you haven't changed, and she was saying the same thing to me, and, and we all live in this denial that we're not growing old. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Um, at, at, at maybe at this point... Um, someone would shout out, Ian, you are, you, you have changed. <laughs> but I was, I was 30 then, and now I'm 55. 
And it just shocked me to think how easy it is to con ourselves into believing that we're not aging and that time is standing still, but in actual fact, it isn't. Time is not standing still. Everyone is aging. And of all the people who attended this wedding, just look at the next photograph there. Everybody looking so handsome and pretty and beautiful and dressed up. Out of all those people, there's going to be one person who's left standing. Maybe it'll be this little guy here. I don't know, in the next picture there. Now the thing is that people might not actually be aware of this reality on a, on a top of mind basis every day. But we, we are aware of it subconsciously. And our subconscious mind, I don't know, we, we can't seem to let it go. Because it is a truth, it is a reality. And we're ever so busy trying to do something about it. And what are some of the things that we do? Well, there's a guy who came to the wedding uh, in a helicopter. And I'm sure that whilst he was flying over the Natal Midlands, he was feeling bulletproof. He was probably rejoicing in, uh, in having arrived in the scenery that he could see. He was rejoicing in the money that he had and the power that he had. And we all do that to a different extent. When there's a certain amount of money in the bank, then we feel safe. We feel like things are okay. If there isn't, then we don't. And so we, we look to different things to prove to ourselves that we're okay, that everything's okay, that we're bulletproof, that we're not growing old. I can remember friends of, of Gail, uh, Gail and I, um, this lady years and years ago went to go and work with, the, with orphans um, at a home in Byra. Uh, this was in the 90s, and extreme poverty, and just seeing how we aren't really entitled to the comfort and the blessings that we have when we see other people who, who just don't have it. And the funny thing was that she came back and immediately went out and bought a big sound system. It was just like to reassure herself, she told us, that everything was okay. I'm, I'm okay. There's still a bit of a buffer between me and those people who are not as blessed as I am. And, and sometimes we try and dull the pain, don't we, with luxury and with pleasure. That subconscious fear that we're going to end up as a handful of dust. And, and sometimes it's distractions. We look to all sorts of different distractions to try and cope with the fact that we're not going to live forever. What about health and vitality? Look at this next photograph. So, so this is us um, in Morgan Bay. Can you put, yes. Um, that's my, my uncle there, Colin Lazarus. He's just turned 80. Um, and later on this year, Colin is going to be riding from, from Bike Bridge to East London, 1,500 kilometers, as an 80-year-old. Average of about 110, 120 k's a week. And, you know, he's been blessed with incredible... Um, what was that? A day, sorry. He's, he's, it's always great to have my family just picking up on my mistakes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he's, he's been blessed with incredible DNA. Uh, he's obviously stewarded his health and his strength pretty well on top of it. But, you know, he's not going to live forever. Just the fact that he is 80 and he can still ride 1,500 kilometers doesn't guarantee anything. And we, we all turn to health and vitality. I know um, th there was a time last year when I was running, and I just loved the fact that the, I have a particular run that I would do. I loved the fact that I was still doing it in the same time that I was three or four years ago. What am I trying to prove to myself? That I'm not growing old. 
That's the subconscious fear. And we look for all sorts of different things to carry us in our old age. As we start to grow older, we think, I wonder who's going to carry me when I get older. Is it going to be my health? Is it going to be my children? Perhaps it's going to be my nest egg. What is it going to be? What's going to carry me? Who's going to carry me when I get old? So how should we respond to this truth? And we're going to find answers in today's passages. Passage, I beg your pardon. I've divided it into three parts. I think it'll be up there. God calls us to face the truth. That's what I'm doing today. I'm not trying to be a stick in the mud. God is calling us to face the truth. Isaiah outlines what our response should be, and then God reassures us. So let's just read from Isaiah 45, verse 20 uh, through to 46, verse 7. He says, Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. Do people say that of you? Only in the Lord is Bruce's righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him, against the Lord. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. These were the prominent gods of the Babylonians. A symbol here of idols, things that we turn to to replace God. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. Remember that applies to us now, because we are grafted in to Israel. That's what we've been learning in Romans. We've been grafted in to, the, to, to Israel. All the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, I have carried you from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you, and I will bear you. I will carry you, and I will save. Let's have a look at this truth that God calls us to face this morning. He starts off there in verse 20, verse A. It'll be up there. He says, assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. This is a call addressed to the survivors of the nations. In other words, to those who are left standing, those who are still alive, those who still have the opportunity to respond to God. Assemble yourselves and draw near together, you survivors of the nations. So this applies to everybody. 
God is talking to everybody here. He's not just talking to the Israelites, although this happens to have come from a prophecy uh, that was originally addressed to, to the Israelites. He's saying, come to me, the survivors of the nations. Why has God called us? Well, he's actually calling us to a trial. Because what happens in a trial is there is a presentation of evidence so that we can get to the truth. So he's calling us to a trial so that we can get to the bottom of what is true concerning this, at this subject of death and mortality. What does God want to confront us with today? And there are four truths that he wants us to face up to. The first one, we see it in verse 20. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. So we turn to idols, we turn to all sorts of different things because we need to be saved. So that's the first truth that we need to know today. We need to be saved primarily from our own mortality, from the fact that we are set on an eternity separated from the presence of God unless God does something about it and unless we respond to Him. So that's the first thing. The next thing is that idols cannot save. He says, why do you keep praying to these gods that cannot save? That's the second point. We need saving, first of all. Secondly, idols can't do it. And now we come to the third truth. And this is that God, and he takes quite a lot of time to emphasize this, that God is in a completely different league. He is in a class of his own. So he says there in verse 21, Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Folks, how can we justify our idolatry when our idols are absolutely useless compared to God? It doesn't matter how good your health is. It doesn't matter how well you eat. It doesn't matter how well you exercise. I can remember having this conversation with Gail. We were just like, why has she come down with lymphoma? She's the last person who should be having cancer because she eats so well and she exercises so well. But why would we turn to those things? Those things can't save us. They're useless compared to God. What case do we even have against God? That's what he's saying here. He says, even if we take counsel together, none of the charges that we bring against God are going to stick. Do our idols know the beginning from the end? They don't. That's what God is saying here. I know the beginning from the end. Only God knows it. Is anything or anyone else apart from God righteous? That's also what he's saying here. Perfectly good. Perfectly moral. Perfectly just. There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. But notice that God describes himself, we could have missed it, as a Savior. There is none besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. God is in a class of his own today because he is the only one who can save us from death. And that's the fourth truth that he wants to confront us with today. Only God can save us. Verse 22 says, Turn to me and be saved. 
the implication, if we turn to God, is that we must turn away from our idols. Isn't that right? Turn away from your idols. Turn to God. Don't be looking at God's channel of supply and thinking that that is the ultimate thing. No, look, look to God who is beyond the channel of supply, who is the, the ultimate source, and put your trust in Him. Turn to me and be saved. Turn away from your idols. Don't trust them to deliver you from your own mortality. And then we ask the question, well, who is it? Who is meant to turn here? What does it say? It says, all the ends of the earth. Everyone. Everyone on the earth. Why do we turn? He says, he explains here, for I am God and there is no other. Turn to me because I'm in a different league to everyone and everything. I am the only one who can save. In fact, he says here that he swears on an oath. He swears on oath and he swears on himself. I swear by myself, he says. Now, we think of a court of law. Normally, if I'm about to give a testimony and to swear an oath, I would do it on the Bible because the Bible is recognized or it was until fairly recently as, as the ultimate form of authority. So we're a higher form of authority. But God doesn't need to swear on anything other than himself because he is the only one. He is the only one, the only authority. And then what is the oath that he's sworn? He says, from my mouth has gone out a word. How has it gone out? It has gone out in righteousness. You can see it there. We could say in integrity. We can trust his word because he is a God of integrity. What's amazing about the word? It's not going to return without having achieved what it was intended for. It's going to be completely effective. And then what is the word? And this is God just emphasizing once again that he is sovereign over everything. He is over everything that we would want to put in his place. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. God is sovereign. He's in charge over everything. So God's facing us, calling us to face this truth today, almost in a, in a, in a court setting. We need to be saved. Idols can't save us. God is in a class of his own. And only he can save us. And that's why he is in a class of his own. Only he can come up with a solution to our problem, this problem of mortality that we face today. So that's the first part. What's the truth? That's the truth there. Let's have a look at Isaiah's, the response that he outlines for us. Now, before we dive into the response... We just need to define very specifically what we need to be saved from. Because if we don't understand that, then we've got a problem. It's easy to walk up to someone and say, you need to be saved. Well, what do I need to be saved from? My high cholesterol? Let's figure it out. In verse 21, we learned that God is a righteous God. In other words, he's perfectly moral, he's perfectly good, He's perfectly just. And now this means that we need to be righteous. We need to be in right standing with him if we're going to be able to enjoy a relationship with him. And the first human beings, Adam and Eve, they were righteous. They were in right standing with God. They could walk with God in the garden 
in the cool of the evening. And that's because they weren't eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the reason why they were righteous. What, is, what does that mean? What does that symbolize? Well, it means that they hadn't said to God, we want to decide what is right and what is wrong. And so because they weren't eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were fully submitted to God. They recognized him as being the one who was sovereign and who was in charge. In a sense, in the language that we've used earlier, their knees were bowed before God. But we all know the story, don't we? They weren't content to let God define what was good for them and what was bad for them. They actually wanted to take that on for themselves. They wanted to be God. And they didn't want God hanging around. Isn't that a sad thing? Whilst they decided what was right and what was wrong. They said, we don't want you hanging around. Your presence isn't welcome here while we do this. And you know what the result of that was? As soon as they rebelled, as soon as they started to decide for themselves and withdrew themselves from the lordship of God, death entered God's creation. There were two things that happened. The first thing was that death entered God's creation because death is actually separation from God's presence. And that's what they were saying. It was they were saying, we don't want you around while we do this. So death came into the world. And the second thing that happened is they lost their righteousness. No longer perfectly moral, no longer perfectly good, which meant that they were no longer in right standing with God, and so they were no longer acceptable to Him. They couldn't come into His presence, and sin became a barrier between them and God. And that's the state of every human being at birth, I'm sad to say. And you know, if we look back and think about it, we have all at some time or another said to God, I don't want you around while I do this. And God gives us what he wants. He removes his presence from us. And that's why, folks, without God's intervention, every human on earth is gradually dying. And thank God he does intervene. Thank God that he does something about it. Because if he didn't, when we die, we're removed from the presence of God forever. And that's what death is. We're talking about mortality today. Death, it's about being removed from the presence of God forever and God actually giving us what we asked for when we rebelled against Him. Now, the effect of being banned from God's presence, of not being in right standing with Him, is that every human being, and we need to get this, folks, is trying to prove that they are righteous. We have a desperate, desperate need to prove that we're acceptable to people and acceptable to others because deep down we know that we're not. There is this consciousness deep down that we've lost our right standing with God. We're no longer the way He created us to be. That we've been cut off from the supply of love and worth and significance that only God can give us. Because he created it that way. He created it so that he would give it to us. And what's the effect of this? We go around trying to prove our worth, to try and earn our love, and we find all sorts of ways to do, with it, do it. And it's because deep down we've all rebelled against God and been separated from him. People do it in so many different ways. One man, for example, he might use his farm. 
just to prove that he's a man of substance, that he's worthy of the approval of his father, of his peers, of his family. He believes that his work is going to put him in right standing, that somehow it's going to fill that gap that he has in his heart because he's not in right standing with God. But he doesn't realize that he's never, ever going to find his worth in that way. Our hunger for self-worth, even if we don't realize it, folks, is because we aren't in right standing with God. So we can't receive the worth that God gives us. Look at verse 24. It says, Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. That's our desperate need, folks. That's what we need to be saved from. The fact that we are no longer in right standing with God and we are headed for an eternity separate from God. Only in the Lord shall be said of me our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. Folks, it could be said of the man who's looking for his self-worth in his work or maybe in his family. The, we just want our children to be perfect so that they're always validating us as parents, whatever it happens to be. What we could say is that it's only in his work or in his or her family that they are seeking righteousness and strength. But what will happen if we do that? If we look to those things, those idols to replace God, it will lead to shame because at the heart it is a rebellion against God. When we turn to something else to make a plan so that we don't need to turn to God, we will be made ashamed. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. Isaiah actually wants us to do the opposite. He wants us to find everything that we need in the Lord. You know, I want people to look at my life and say, Ian finds his righteousness and strength in the Lord. Wouldn't you like people to say that of you as well? And you know, it becomes pretty obvious to people what we're really depending in, where we're looking for our righteousness, where we're looking for our strength. Let's let it be said of us at Harvest, they look for righteousness and strength in the Lord. But the problem is that not one of us is righteous. So we don't have that right standing with God and we can't be his children because every one of us has rebelled, even if it was just once. What's the solution? Look there at verse 25. In the Lord... All the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. It is only in the Lord that we are justified. It's in the Lord, it's just as if we have never sinned. Just as if we have never rebelled. So let's summarize this response that Isaiah has outlined for us. Number one, turn to Jesus for your justification. To put you right with God. Because in him, it'll be just as if you have never sinned. He will take your imperfect record, throw it away, put his perfect record in so that when God looks at you, he sees Christ's perfect record, just as if you had never sinned. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So that's the first thing that we need to do. We need to turn to Jesus 
in order to be justified. Put our faith and trust in the work that he did on the cross. And then the second thing that we should do is to glory in Jesus. If I glory in Jesus or glory in something, I'm rejoicing proudly in it. For example, the first time that I got a company pickup, I can remember rejoicing gladly in it because it gave me a sense of worth. It gave me a sense of significance. When I drove it around, so I thought, people looked and thought, ah, Ian is a person of worth. His company thinks he's worth having a company pickup. And so I was rejoicing and glorying in the pickup. We can rejoice in other things. We can rejoice and glory in our education or in the successes of our family. Our children validate us because they're doing so well. Look what they've achieved. Look what we've done through them. We're glorying in those things. But what God is saying is don't, don't glory in those things. Glory in me. Find your, your joy and your strength in me. And so that when people look at you, it will be said of you, ah, Ian finds his righteousness and his strength in God. And that will point, put God in a good picture. It will glorify him. It will make him proud. So the last thing that we need to look at now is the reassurance that God brings us concerning this area of mortality and death. A few years ago, um, I spent some time with a man who was dying. And I asked him what he, what he felt about dying. Um, and he said, well, you know, Ian, I'm, I'm actually, I'm okay with it. I'm ready to die. And I've made my peace with God. So I said to him, well, on what basis have you made your peace with God? Because if we've rebelled against God and he is to be a God of justice, then making our peace with him needs to be on the, on the basis of his justice. So on what basis have you made your peace with God? And so I asked him, I said, you know, how, how do you know that you, you have peace with God? And he started explaining to me about how he'd been a good guy and the way he treated his wife and his children and all sorts of other things that were just not enough. If God's going to judge us on the basis of that, it's not enough to put us in right standing with God. It's not enough to establish our peace with God. And so even as we turn to this reassurance now, it's very easy to go to this reassurance and be under the false impression that it applies to us when it might not. We, we need to make sure that we have made our peace with God. And the way we do it is through believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place, that he was raised from the dead so that we too can be raised to new life. It's only on the basis of that. Because then God's justice is satisfied because he punished the perfect man in our place and then he is able to forgive us and to love us so make sure that you don't jump to this too quickly notice um, in the next uh, few verses um, when, when you look at the the, the verses starting in chap chapter 46 and just count how many times the words related to carry are mentioned in other words burden born bear lift I counted 10 times. So if we read in chapter 46, it says, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. 
Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Folks, what they're saying here is that you might think your idol is going to carry you in old age. You might think that it's going to carry you in life. But in actual fact, it's going to end up being a burden that you carry. It's going to burden you down. And when you look at these idols here, Bel and Nebo are just symbols of things that replace God. They've got to be carried by, by what? By beasts, livestock. Now, he's got his tongue in cheek here. He's saying, if you want to be like a mombi, if you want to be like a, a cow or an ox, then carry an idol around on your back. We don't want to be like that. We don't want lack knowledge. We don't, we don't want to be burdened down by these things that are actually meant to, to provide for us or God's provision for us. No. But if we turn to God, the picture is very different. He says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Do you know that God has been carrying you ever since you were born? I love looking back over the past because I can see evidence of God having carried me. And then it says, Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. God's going to carry you. It doesn't mean that we don't make a plan. It doesn't mean that we aren't responsible. But remember, those things are God's provision for us. They're not, uh, they're not to replace God. So we don't look to those things to carry us. We reassure ourselves, reassure ourselves of the fact that it's God who's going to carry us. You know, in 2008, you could have had in the pipeline some sort of uh, inheritance for a couple of million Zim dollars in 1998. Back then, it would have been a fantastic thing to look forward to in your retirement. It would have carried you. But in a small space of 10 years, barely enough to buy a packet of instant pudding. You know. So there will be things in your life at the moment that you're thinking, that'll carry me, or this might carry me, or that'll carry me. And maybe they will. Maybe God will use them. But don't put your faith and your trust in those things. And don't kill yourself and um, compromise the truth and compromise your service to God and your love for God to make sure that you're going to be carried in your old age because that's his responsibility. He said here, hasn't he? I've carried you and I will carry you. And then the last thing that he says, I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. God is going to save you from death. So folks, let's face up to the truth today. We need savings Saving. <laughs> we need savings. That was a serious Freudian slipper. <laughs> we need saving. Idols cannot save us. God is in a complete league of his own. Let's not look to idols. Let's look to him because only he can save us. And then we need to respond to that truth. Turn to Jesus for your justification. Just be aware every day how often you're turning to other things to boost your sense of worth, your sense of love, your sense of significance. That's an indication that you're looking to the wrong things. 
and deal with these things on a daily basis. Just say, oh, sorry, sorry, Father. I realized that I was looking to my sermon and the way I preached it to validate me as a person. Please forgive me for that. I know that I'm valid because you created me and I'm in Christ and I'm in right relationship with you. Counsel yourself. Turn to Jesus for your justification. And if you haven't ever done that, then I'd encourage you to do it. Ask God to stir up faith to believe that that man who lived 2,000 years ago lived a perfect life, that he never sinned. And the, the validation of that is that he was raised from the dead. God couldn't have raised him from the dead if he hadn't been a perfect man. And the fact that he was a perfect man and that he raised from the dead and, and died on a cross for you, for you means that you don't need to be punished by God. You can be put into right standing with God. Just ask God to stir up faith to believe that that is the truth. Respond to him. And then just, just take absolute delight and glory in God. May it be said of Ian Ray. May it be said of Terry Watson. May it be said of Brian Ballinger that his righteousness and strength is in the Lord. So that when people look at me, they, they don't realize Ian's looking to his car to validate who he is. Or he's, look, he's, he's looking to his good behavior to try and prove that he's acceptable to God and that, he'll, that he can live forever with God. Be encouraged, folks. God has carried you. He will carry you. And he will save you when the time comes. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for what you've done in Jesus Christ. We thank you that we don't need to look at a handful of dust and be afraid. Because we know, we know that if we put our faith and trust in you, that we will receive resurrection bodies, that we will spend eternity with one another and with you. This is the hope that we hold on to. And Father, we, we know that it's a living hope because it's based on the promises of you, well, your promises. And you are a dependable God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.